Hi, everyone, and welcome to the AI Innovators Podcast. I'm Rob May. I'm the CEO of Nova, very active angel investor in the AI space. And this podcast looks at all kinds of people, business people, technical people, academics that are doing really interesting things in the AI space. My guest today has started an AI-first PR company. So we're going to talk a little bit about what that means and where PR is going in a world of generative AI and large language models. So happy to welcome to the podcast today, Rob Chevelle. Rob, thanks for joining us. Thanks, Rob. Great name. So let's start with an analysis of where can you use AI and PR and how do you think about figuring out where to apply AI first? And, and like, what are the top things AI can do and what still has to be handled by humans in, in the current state? Yeah, it's interesting. I think when you mention PR and AI together, the immediate assumption seems to be, hey, you're going to write a press release for me automatically. And that is that has been true since we started riffing on this with GPT-2 maybe three years ago. And I think it's an interesting because it says a lot about human psychology, but I don't think what is interesting about using AI and applying it to the industry of PR, which is obviously a fairly large one and representing you know, billions of dollars of annual uh, spend. I don't think the interesting thing is is sort of AI writing press releases or AI really writing on behalf of human ideation at all. So where we've applied it and are trying to apply it in the construct of our business is to enable scalable, personalized outreach on behalf of brands and companies that want to tell their stories and get their messages out. And that is kind of different than using generative AI to quote unquote write stuff. So yeah, tell me a little bit about where this idea originated. Like, you know, you know, what did you see happening that led to the creation of an AI powered PR firm? And then did you see the PR problems and were looking for solutions and AI came to you? Or did you see AI and think like, oh, where could I apply this? PR is sort of a logical place. Yeah. Great question. Look, as an entrepreneur, you try to not get too fond of your own ideas. I think a lot of us as entrepreneurs have lots of ideas of how we want to change the world or what would be a good business. We put them in our idea file and we wait to get less excited about them and see what they look like the day after and you know that kind of thing. With respect to this business, I had a, a really star developer that I used to work with who started his own company and then sold it. and had gotten really into GPT and AI in general. And he was following John Carmack and he was playing with all these tools and, and Dolly early and, and probably a lot of stuff that your listeners have been, have been doing for a while. And this is going back about four years or so ago. And I was riffing with him on, hey, isn't one of the biggest problems training data and training sets? And aren't, aren't all the big tech companies spending lots of money trying to train, train these models and, and, and so forth? And, we we thought about the corpus of of news and and articles as this vast trove of publicly accessible information that that could be used to train in some senses some intelligence in in these LLMs or some capabilities in generative AI and i got excited about that because as a founder having used pr firms probably ten, a dozen of them in my career I've always been dissatisfied with not just the industry and the results, but the whole old school nature of, 
hey, you know, we're going to do this stuff for you. And we have these special relationships and, and everything else. And there was sort of a stick your head in the sand notion of using technology. And so I thought it was really interesting to couple the capabilities that were rapidly increasing in AI and specifically around some of the GPT type models with the disruption potential of this sort of old school approach to a business, which was still generating a lot of cash. Yeah, last time you and I had coffee, we had this discussion about across two two layers, right? One is, is do, do you use PR when you're a startup? Because a lot of times you don't, but sometimes when you're trying to evangelize something new, it, it can work really well. Yeah, I've had a very similar experience, which is like I've had one really good PR firm over the years and then a bunch that I've had to fire, you know, because they, they don't work out very well and, and they seem not to be worth the, worth the money. Yeah, and I think I think even you know you, you're talking about hey startups don't need PR and there's this whole all these notions of product led growth and everything, but I think we, we need to start reimagining like what PR will be because everybody needs to tell their stories to different audiences and as we build companies and as we try to get our messages out, I think we need to weave that into a set of daily activities that are sort of part of the operating model of building a startup. And notionally, you need tools to be able to do that, to give you leverage, because just the black and white version of not doing PR or hiring an expensive PR firm to kind of reach out in an old school way to the New York Times or the Wall Street Journal, which you may not even care about anymore because that's not where your audience has gone. It, it just feels increasingly antiquated. Yeah. Now, creating a service like this, how do you go about selling it? Because one of the things that I've seen in a lot of the investments that I've made and everything else is that selling AI products sometimes requires you to go a little bit against the grain of what people are doing today. And so how do you how do you target the right customer, someone who's open to this? Or how do you tweak the pitch so that they don't think like, you know, this is this is weird or I don't need this or I'm losing control or I have to change my workflow and it's working really well, et cetera. Like, what's your approach? Yeah, well, I mean. With PR, we have the benefit of not really disrupting existing people's habits or workflows. Either they've done it or they haven't done it. But it's interesting. We've seen a, a tremendous, and we kind of hypothesize this, but it, you know, it's showing up in the data. There's a tremendous demand for doing something from small businesses, businesses that are sort of series A and below. And there's a tremendous interest in using AI to be helpful here because I think the world is, you know, ever since GPT-3 and, well, ChatGPT, really, the world has become insanely interested in anything with AI pixie dust. And I think when people are considering, how do I get a message out and at what mm -hmm. price point can I afford to do that? And they see the promise advertised that AI can help them, there's a significant level of interest and people are coming to us and signing up and signing up for paid services, free trials, managed services, newsletters, you, you name it because of that interest. Interesting. Yeah, that no, makes a lot of sense. And do you think in general, when they start to understand the product and everything else, like what are the expectations like that the customer has? It, do you find that they have these unreasonable expectations that it's going to be like a PR bot that talks back to them and like knows everything? Or do they find the experience overwhelming or underwhelming? And how does that map to like any accurate or inaccurate expectations they have going in? Yeah, it's a great question. And I would say in full transparency, where we're at is, is very much a, a work in progress or an evolution. I think some of what our platform does today 
in taking the messaging around their website and their brand and a few questions that they answer in our interface and then turning that into personalized responses to to journalists who have written various relevant news articles and things like that, sometimes it feels like magic to our customers. And they're like, wow, you wrote this as well as I could have written it. And sometimes it's wildly off the mark. And they're like, you couldn't know the first thing about AI if what I'm seeing is this list of journalists because it's so irrelevant to the story I'm trying to tell or the narrative I'm trying to tell. So it's something where there's flashes of brilliance, maybe more than flashes. I, I guess the customers perceive us as, as, as really smart because of some of the generative AI capabilities that they can see right in their UI, maybe half the time and really stupid the other half of the time. <laughs> yeah, that's, uh, that's, it, it's where a lot of startups are, regardless of what they're working on. Right. But it's good. I, you know, I always tell people when they're starting companies, like, when you can have a product that people are complaining about sometimes, like it's actually, you'd rather have customers that want your product to work better than products who just, and complain to you about it because they, they do want to use it rather than people who just like go away and don't say anything. It's a better, better market sign. 100%. And, you know, one of the beautiful things about applying AI to PR is that we don't just have our customers to tell us whether things are working or not or whether they're pleased or displeased. We also have the hardcore results of, did you get PR in yeah. the real world? <laughs> you know? Yeah, that's a really good, that's a really good point. And I think not a lot of AI, AI entrepreneurs think about that enough, right? Which is, are there, are there a way to get these external results that you, you know, can validate like that? So it's, it's kind of a cool thing about your, your business model. So some people might say that as AI become, or when PR becomes more AI-ified, it's just going to fill the world with tons of noise. Like you alluded to this at the press release, you know, comment at the beginning of the, of the program. Do you agree or like what, what's the second order effect of AI powered PR? And what does the new equilibrium look like someday when the world adapts to this? And, you know, you guys and others have been successful and, and all the companies are using AI PR. Yeah, well, I mean, taken to its logical extreme, one could conclude that nobody's going to ever answer an email that isn't from a friend of theirs, just like we might not answer our phones when they ring and it's from an unidentified number because the amount of spam that's getting created that certainly looks legitimate is so high that it just kills PR as a outreach as a form of communication. So I worry about that a little bit. And I think journalists and influencers and people with audiences that have to cover topics, the way that they do that and the way that they seek out or get information or experts on those topics may evolve in unexpected ways. I don't know if I have a great answer, but I'll tell you what we believe at the core of, of, sort of what we're doing at Intelligent Relations, which is we're only using generative AI and LLMs to facilitate better human relationships. And in a way, we try to hold ourselves true to that. Instead of, for example, rating ourselves on how many messages we can send out, we look at results like how many useful interviews between a customer of ours and journalists were we able to create in a given month. And would the journalists rate those connections and introductions and, and so forth as useful to their coverage and storytelling and, and audiences or, or not and with our customers. So we try to keep ourselves true to that. And ultimately, 
We're trying to use the technology not to create fake content, so to speak, but to truly allow brands to reach conversations and audiences that they might not be able to reach without the power of AI helping them do so. Yeah, no, that's a great analysis. It's sort of like using it more as a matching service than a persuasion service, maybe, right? Or blast. That's exactly service. right. Um, yeah. Cool. So h- how do you think about your relationship at Intelligent Relations to large language models and the roadmap that those companies have? And are, are you worried that they get so good that your service becomes less valuable? Or like how do you how do you defend against that? How do you build around that? Yeah. I don't know what I don't know. And I don't know what Sam Altman knows either, but I would say that the value we're trying to create, and I think this is important for any entrepreneur considering applying AI to a business, is in some ways orthogonal to the development of LLMs and AI. And and I say that because a lot of the time and attention that we, we put into the software platform that we're building around PR has to do with enabling workflows and intelligence around the data that we're collecting from the real world, rather than can AI write a better X. And so as the LLMs get better, we can generate hopefully more more connections more quickly that have more relevance to the essence of what PR is, which is having your solution or your company or whatever show up in every conversation where it's highly relevant. And so in a way, we shouldn't necessarily care, you know, quote unquote, how good GPT 5, 6, 7, and whatever else gets. It should literally help us provide a better service and enable better results around all the workflows and the databases and, and other things we're creating that we think is the core of our intellectual property and that sort of thing. That said, nobody knows. I mean, if if these things get so good that you can get a better answer to any question that you have about where to promote your brand in real time, then, you know, maybe what we're doing will become outmoded and superfluous. But that brings up another topic, which is how real time trained are these large language models and how does that evolve in the future? And I think that's something that we all, or at least the press doesn't talk about a lot. Yeah, everybody else's business model, as as OpenAI moves there towards GPT, like seven, eight, whatever, and has to be more real time and ingesting data, every other business model is just going to be a data source for OpenAI. They're just going to pay us for our data and then people pay them for their uh, LLM outputs. Who knows? So there's a lot of entrepreneurs that listen to the program and they're always wondering what they should build next. So I always like to ask guests, if there's any technologies that you aren't working on, that you'd love to see somebody else solve or something some, you'd love for somebody else to build because it would make your life better or easier for the stuff that, that you're trying to solve? I think some of the real-time and semi-structured data that are ultimately inputs to the efficacy of a PR business are certainly problems that we'd love other entrepreneurs to jump in and try solving. For example, there's, I think, a Y Combinator company that's that we're talking to about structured news APIs from Google News and things like that. And those kinds of tools and technologies are useful to us. But that's really like more about semi-structured and unstructured texts and content summarization and, and so forth and sort of pure generative AI stuff. I think also from, from a corporate standpoint, I think compliance is really an interesting 
area for AI entrepreneurs to consider as corporate employees and, and people inside the walls of companies use this more? How do those companies get a handle on not just the information coming back from, you know, your your Bings and your chat GPTs and so forth, but how do they comply and monitor with the inputs, the the queries being asked? So I think there's there's lots of interesting things. What I would discourage though is is sort of the first order presumptuous, well, now AI can generate content. So let's just create a business that generates content because People were charging a lot for that content before. I see a lot of businesses like that, and I think they're all going to die. Yeah, for sure. No, it's definitely interesting to think about, probably do a whole hour on real-time data and what the trends have been there historically. And, and, and I think your insights are right that somebody will solve the problem of how do you use these inner LLMs to either train them in a matter of you know milliseconds on new up-to-date data, or at least interact with the LLMs using the data in ways that, you know, make the two together really powerful and relevant. I mean, when you started to see a lot of technical infrastructure, you know, databases and other types of layers coming out around streaming six, seven, eight, ten 10 years ago that, that you didn't see before that because you didn't have, you know, you just did everything like, you know, batch and, you know, one time and, you know, whatever. So it'd be interesting to see where that goes. So I always like to end on a personal note because, you know, you're, you're an interesting guy. You've known you for a while. You've done a couple of companies and have a lot of a lot of interesting people on the program. And so I always like to ask people, what's one life lesson, something you've read or learned along the way or experienced or somebody taught you that you think is really important and maybe not given enough focus and you, you want to share it with the audience t- today? What jumps to mind is an entrepreneurial lesson, I suppose. And that is one from the company Delete Me and, you know, and the privacy company that I started with some much smarter co-founders a dozen years ago. And the lesson is simply, if you work on something, try to make it something you truly believe in and that's truly meaningful because it's going to be freaking hard and you're going to have days, if not years, where it can look hopeless and it doesn't, you know, sometimes it will be, but if you, if you're doing something that, that you deeply believe in versus just you think can make money, it can help. And while survival isn't always a strategy as an entrepreneur, sometimes it is. And in my case, my life lesson is it's been a great one. So that's what I try to do. I think, and, and I, I don't think enough entrepreneurs when they're starting a business, step back and go, man, if this really sucks, do I believe this is going to be true? And do I believe in it fundamentally? enough that I can get through years and years of, of hardship. Oh man, I can relate to that. You know, g- going back to my backup of five days, I can't tell you how many VCs in like 2009 told me that, you know, cause we were doing backup for cloud data, data that was native in the cloud. And uh, a lot of VCs told me like, Rob, let me tell you something. Businesses are never going to move their data to the cloud. It's too insecure and, and, you know, stuff like that. And it was just, yeah, that was a long slog on that one. So yeah, I think it's really good advice. Yeah, the v- um, VCs are, are are not always good at predicting the future, but they're really good at predicting the next year or two. So pay attention yeah. to that. <laughs> yeah, good advice. So for those of you listening, if you're interested in learning more, you can check out Rob's company, Intelligent Relations at intelligentrelations.com. And Rob Chevelle, thanks for being on the podcast today. Thanks for having me. And then... Again, people listening, if you have guest suggestions, please email them to me, rob at ai-innovators.com. And as always, please go check out our other episodes. Thanks for listening.